This week, I served as a witness in a family court hearing. And uh, as I approached the door, I was waiting outside in the hallway uh, here in Orangeburg at the county courthouse. I don't know if y'all have ever been there. If you have, you know, hopefully you were a witness like me and not on the other side. But if you were, that's okay. Um, but as I was approaching the door to the courtroom, the bailiff uh, came up to me. And, you know, I'm a pastor. You know, I, was, I had a button-down shirt on. And I thought he was going to ask me for some advice or something, you know. And he said, excuse me, sir. Um, could you please tuck in your shirt? <laughs> Could you please tuck in your shirt tail? And so you'll see, like, I'm wearing my shirt tail out. So I started tucking in my shirt. I was totally embarrassed by my lack of decorum going into the courtroom. Uh, so I quickly tucked it in. Why do we do that? Why, why do we do that? Why do we tuck in our shirts? We, we do lots of things, don't we, to show honor. To show honor to those who are worthy of respect. We honor the things that we value. And, and the fact that my shirt was untucked didn't mean that I didn't honor the judge. It just meant that I wasn't following protocol. I wasn't following the decorum of our culture that we have. We honor the people and things that we value. Think about it. Anybody ever make honor roll? It's the honor roll. Some of us wish we had made honor roll. What does that mean? It means getting all A's and B's, right, on your report card. Getting all A's and B's on your report card. You're on the honor roll. You're honored. What about, what about soldiers who carry out acts of bravery on the battlefield and, they, and they, they risk their lives and face death to do brave things? They're given the medal of honor. Right, the Medal of Honor. Or what about a judge who holds a high office within our county? We call them the Honorable Judge. The Honorable Judge. And for some of us who are disrespectful, we have to tuck our shirts in quickly out in the hallway. Because we honor the people and the things that we value and and even this week as the Olympics are ongoing, we honor the best athletes in the world by giving them medals and by having them stand on podiums. We give them the honor of Olympic gold, silver, and bronze. Honor in our culture is attained through great personal achievement, through position. Respect is earned by proving yourself to be a straight-A student by proving yourself to be strong and courageous and put together. But is this what it really means to be honorable? Is this really what it means to be honorable? Because let's be honest, if this is what it means to be honorable, then honor is out of reach for most of us. Because we are not Olympic gold athletes. We are not Medal of Honor recipients, and most of us were not honor roll students either. So what, is, what does it mean? Well, this sermon series that we're in is called Whatever. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's a series exploring what is it that God wants for us to grow in godly character. For believers in Jesus, God gives us grace. Grace to 
think about and practice those characteristics listed in Philippians 4.8 that whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. And we know that for all of those attributes, there's only one person who ever lived who was actually all of those things. And his name was Jesus Christ, the Son of God made flesh who dwelled among us. That's what we talked about last week. And the truth was in the flesh. And so this Sunday, uh, last Sunday we talked about whatever is true. Today we're talking about, you guessed it, whatever is honorable. Whatever is honorable. And so we're going to turn to John chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. You can follow along. Verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the best wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Jesus shows us in this story what it means to be honorable. He didn't receive a medal. He didn't stand on a podium. He didn't tuck in his shirt. In fact, the thing that made Jesus so honorable is that he honored everyone else in the story. That's what we're going to look at. This is what it means to be honorable. Number one, Jesus honored his community. Look back at verses 1 and 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited with his disciples to the wedding. The scripture says on the third day, and that's because John is, is taking us through chronologically what's happening. Because earlier in chapter 1, we, we read that Jesus had begun his, his ministry in the northern part of Israel, in an area called Galilee, sort of like a region of Israel. He had begun gathering his disciples. Anybody know who his first two disciples were? Starts with a P. Peter and Andrew. 
and then Philip and Nathaniel. And these brothers would become members of Jesus' group of 12 disciples eventually. And as he was beginning his ministry in the northern part of Israel, his, his former life, his former life was crossing over now with his new life as a minister and as a, a teacher. You see, Jesus had grown up as a poor man in the backwoods of Israel in a town called Nazareth. I mean, think Cope, South Carolina, okay? Think Orangeburg, South Carolina. Jesus grew up in a small town called Nazareth. In fact, in the, in the previous chapter, Nathaniel, that, that fourth disciple that's mentioned, he actually makes fun of Jesus. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, Philip says, just, just, just come and check him out. Just, just come check him out. But he doubted. Could anything good come out of Nazareth? And yet, Jesus didn't despise his community. He didn't despise where he came from, even though everyone else did. And we see an example of that here because Cana was a neighboring village. And there was a wedding there at Cana. Jesus was starting his ministry. Why in the world would he spend time going to a local wedding that he's invited to? Why? Why waste time going to a wedding in the small, another small town called Cana? Why would he take along his few disciples? Jesus wanted to show us, I think, whatever is honorable. You see, weddings in this time period were incredibly important social occasions, like they are today. I mean, a wedding is a big deal, right? It takes a year sometimes to plan it, or less than a year, to plan a wedding. And a successful event would have brought honor to the family, especially the groom and his family, that were running this wedding. But unlike our weddings today, which are one long day, their weddings lasted at least seven days, sometimes up to ten days. I mean, these weddings were a week-long party. It, I mean, it was, it was a, imagine, imagine the, the, the reception just going on for days and days and days. Imagine having to provide food and drink for days and days and days. And remember, this is Cana of Galilee. This is a poor community. These are Jesus' people. This is his community. Jesus' own presence at this wedding showed that even though he was beginning his ministry, he still honored his community, his people. There's something for us to learn in that, isn't there? That as we grow up and as we get more successful maybe in life, we shouldn't let it go to our head. We shouldn't forget our community. We shouldn't forget where we're from. A lot of people honestly are embarrassed to be from Orangeburg. I mean, they are. It's true. A lot of people are embarrassed to be from Orangeburg. And, and I mean, I'll be honest, as soon as I could, I got out of here. <laughs> I left. I went away. And most, most of my peers did the same thing. We left. Why? Because Orangeburg is the Nazareth of South Carolina. It really is. In fact, that was one of the things that drew me back. I had a friend who, who confronted me with that, and he said, you know, they say nothing good can come out of Nazareth. 
and Orangeburg is kind of like Nazareth, and maybe God's calling you to go back. It was actually one of the things that, that kind of gripped my heart that God used to pull me back here several years ago. The honorable thing may not be in the big city. The honorable thing may be to slow down and set your sights on bringing hope and transformation to the little places like Cana and Nazareth and Orangeburg. Jesus honored his community. Number two, Jesus honored his mother. Look with me at verse three. I love this. When the wine ran out. There was no doubt that the wine was going to run out because this is a poor family, right? It starts that when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And I know she was, she was communicating more than just the fact, right? She's communicating to him a request when she says they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, to her woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> the mother of Jesus came to him and said, they have no wine. The wine's gone. Nobody knows Jesus like his mother. Nobody knows Jesus like his mother. She was visited by the angel Gabriel before his conception who told her, the one to be born of you will be the Son of God. All right, so even before she conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit, she knew this baby was going to be special. This boy is going to be special. This man is special. And so she raised him. And she saw his unique mix of character and righteousness and giftedness. Truly, he was the Son of God, raised in this home. And we don't know a lot about his home life growing up, but we can kind of read between the lines here that Mary knew that Jesus had some special abilities. Mary knew that he could perform the extraordinary Mary knew that Jesus liked to make things right. It was in his heart. It was in his character growing up. Why else would she mention this small problem to Jesus if she didn't know he could fix it? She knew. And so how does Jesus respond? He says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet Come. And, and honestly, that can be jarring, right? When we read that in English, it, it seems like Jesus maybe is being disrespectful a little bit. Woman, what does this have to do with me? Almost like we read that into it. But is Mary disrespected? No, she turns right around and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. So if we think it's disrespectful, we're not un understanding it correctly. What's happening here? He addresses her as woman because she is no longer merely his mother. You see, Mary is now one of his disciples. She's one of those who the scripture tells us was one of the women who followed Jesus. Who was there from the beginning of his ministry to the foot of the cross. And so Jesus turns to her and he says, Madam, ma'am, my 
my lady or lady. I don't know. It's weird. Woman. He's addressing her as a disciple, not, not as his mother. He says, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. What's he talking about, his hour? His hour refers specifically throughout the book of John to his crucifixion. You see, Jesus knew that as soon as he revealed his power to the public, they would want to thrust him on the throne. And he knew that as soon as the people wanted to put him on the throne, that the occupiers, the Roman Empire, would want to put him to death. He knew it. And he said, my time has not yet come. I'm not going to do a public miracle. That's what he was saying. He wasn't ready. He knew where that would lead. But isn't it incredible that he found a way to honor his mother's request without compromising his mission? He found a way to to honor her request without compromising his mission, and she knew it. That's why she turned around and said to those in the kitchen area, just do whatever he tells you. I know know it's not going to make sense. Just whatever he tells you, do it. What can we learn from that? What can we learn from this honor that Jesus shows to his mother that sometimes you don't have all the good ideas? Sometimes we need to listen to what other people are saying or suggesting and and, and maybe follow their lead a little bit. And, 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 you know, Jesus could have turned around and said, you know, I'm I'm the Savior of the world. We're going to do what I want to do. Thank you very much. Good idea, but no thanks. But he didn't do that. He, he listened to his disciple, his mother, Mary, and he followed along with, what, with her idea. How many of us notice that there's a problem and we just move on by? We just say, well, that's really none of my business. That's none of my business. I'm not going to get involved. Jesus is showing us that the honorable thing is to help whenever it's in your power to do so to get involved, to help, even in little, tiny things. I mean, this would have been easy to let go. He didn't have to do this. This family knew that the wine was going to run out. They knew it. And the people who were attending probably knew, ah, the wine's probably going to run out at some point. But Jesus did something incredible. He served when he didn't have to. What an example of an honorable life. Jesus honored his mother. Number three, Jesus honored the servants. Verse six says, Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the, water, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out, and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. We'll stop there. Six stone water jars. 30 gallons. Does anybody know how much 30 gallons is? I don't know where that trash can is. You know those big trash cans that we have out front? That's 30 gallons. Okay? I I, should have had one up here on on the platform. Times six. So six of those big... 33-gallon deals times six. That's how much water they had to fill up. 
That's how big these, these jars, these ritual purification jars were. Why? Why were they just standing? Why did, why did they have these jars? Because in the Jewish community and in their and in their religious practice, God had given them many reminders of their need for cleansing. He had, he had kept the idea of cleansing in front of his people with these images of washing. And so everything in a Jewish household had to be cleansed with water. I mean, there was the sanitary side, but it, was, it had a meaning to it too, that, that, that sin was their greatest problem, not the Romans. And that's why they had these visual reminders all day long that we need to be cleansed and washed and made righteous and holy by God. It was a symbol of God's power to forgive and to wash away guilt and shame. And what's incredible is that Jesus takes this this ritual, this this old image of cleansing, and and he, and he, he ends up doing something with it that takes away shame. He, and I'm going to explain more about that, but, but, but he ends up taking something that's, that, that's supposed to take away guilt, that's supposed to take away shame, and he turns it into an even better image. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Jesus says to them, fill the jars with water. Jesus went down into the kitchen to work his first miracle, and he instructed these workers, these servants, to fill the jars with water to the brim. He doesn't do any magic incantation. He doesn't say any pronouncements or words. He doesn't, you know, have some charm that he does. He just has them fill these jars with water. And then he says, take some to the master of the feast, the MC. So they took it. I love that. I mean, if it was me, I would have said, uh, so you know this is just water, right? Because, you know, if, if I'm a lowly servant, if I'm just working in the kitchen, and I'm taking water to the boss, I know it's my neck on the line. I'm going to get fired. If he drinks this water and looks at me and says, what, and spits it in my face and says, what are you doing? It took a lot of faith for these servants to take it and to, and to trust Jesus, this, this man who Mary says, do whatever he says. They trusted him somehow, didn't they? They trusted him. And they took the wine and they gave it to the master of the feast. I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't do this himself. You know, if I had the power to turn water into wine, I would have let I would have wanted it, at least a few people to know about it. You know, I mean, Jesus, why didn't he go into the kitchen and say, "Okay, uh, let's fill these up and then he takes the cup and he takes it to the master of the feast?" Why doesn't Jesus do it? Because Jesus wanted to share his glory and his honor with everyone. You see how he honored the servants by bring, getting them involved? By letting them use their gifts of, of, of delivery and all of the different manners that they, that they would use to deliver this wine to the master of the feast? 
That's such a good message for us, isn't it? That God doesn't just do things on His own, but He uses us. He uses us to do His will. He uses us, He shares His glory and His honor with us. That we get to be His instruments as we trust Him to do it. Jesus involved other people in this miracle. He involved other people. You know, think about who is honored in our culture. It's the Lone Rangers. It's the solitary gymnast. It's the honorable judge. It's the soldier who no one can match. But Jesus says, no, everyone can be honorable. Everyone's position can be elevated. No matter what you do, no matter what your calling is, maybe it's being a mom, maybe it's being a a CEO, maybe it's being a, a, a trash collector, maybe it's being a window washer, maybe it's being a musician, maybe it's being a preacher, maybe it's being whatever it is. Jesus wants to share his honor with all of us. He involves us in his mission to bring transformation and goodness to this world. Do you all see that? He shared his honor with the servants. He honored them. Doing good is a team sport. Jesus honored the servants. And four, Jesus honored the bridegroom. Look with me at verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. And did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. (laughs) The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus honored the bridegroom. Scripture says in verse 9, When the master of the feast tasted the water become wine. You know, some of us grew up where this passage maybe offended you. Because we think sometimes that drinking alcohol, drinking wine is a sin. Some of us were taught that growing up. But the Bible has a a different message than that. It's not a sin to drink alcohol. Drunkenness is a sin, right? Abusing alcohol is a sin. But the Bible tells us over and over that that wine itself is a blessing from God. Psalm 104.15 says, Wine gladdens the hearts of men. Proverbs 3 verse 10 says, Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And even in the New Testament, in Matthew 26, verse 9, as Jesus, much later in the story, as he gives us an image that we're to take with us forever of his blood, he takes a cup. And he said, this cup I will not drink again until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Wine is a sign of joy and of God's blessing throughout Scripture. And there are plenty of warnings about not abusing alcohol, too. The master of the feast, when he took this cup, he had never tasted wine so good. 
Now, I personally don't know enough about wine to know if something's, if it's good or bad. Like, I just don't know. Some of you maybe do know. You know, like, what's a good wine and what's not a good. Now, coffee, I can tell you what's a good coffee and what's not a good coffee. But the master of the feast, when he tasted this water, now become wine, he called the bridegroom over. Why? Because the bridegroom was the one who was responsible for providing the wine. The master of the feast was confused. I mean, he had never seen anything like this. He had never seen anything at all like this. The wedding feast had been going on for several days, we are to assume, and and he knew the tricks of the trade. He knew that most poor families could only afford enough good wine for the first few days, and after that, they would bring out the cheap stuff, or maybe they would add water to the wine to make it last longer. People who've been feasting for several days are less particular about the quality of the wine. The scripture here says when they, once they have drunk freely. But what blew him away is that this cup of wine, two or three days into the feast, was the best wine that he had ever tasted. The best wine that he had ever tasted. It was not watered down as he was expecting And he says to the bridegroom, now I want you to imagine the bridegroom, okay? He knows the wine's running out, right? He knows the wine's running out. Suddenly, the MC calls him up to the microphone and says, come on up here, bridegroom, come up here and stand right up here. And I think the bridegroom probably knew what was coming. The music stopped playing, it got real quiet, He knew that they didn't have enough wine for a proper wedding. He knew what was coming. He was bracing himself for a public shaming, for embarrassment, being called out on his way into the courtroom of public opinion. But instead of that, he was honored. Instead of being shamed, he was blessed. The MC said, you have kept the good wine until now? Who does that? Who keeps the good stuff until now? See, Jesus worked behind the scenes, not just to fix a problem, yes, to fix a problem, but not just that, to take shame and to turn it into honor, to take an embarrassment and to turn it into a blessing. And man, when we look at Jesus in the way that he was honorable by honoring others, it it should make us want to look for ways to elevate other people too. Jesus didn't keep his glory for himself. He didn't keep all the honor for himself, but he shared it with others. He was okay to just stay back in the kitchen and let the bridegroom have all the glory on that day. Incredible! You and I, we don't have to be recognized for every single good thing that we do. We don't need the likes on Instagram. We don't need the approval of all of those comments on our Facebook. We don't need the pat on the back that we so desire from people. Why? Because honor is not designed to be hogged. It's designed to be shared. It's designed to be given to others. 
And so we should be like Jesus, looking for ways to share honor with others, to elevate other people. That's exactly what Jesus does. That's why he's so honorable. Can you find ways to share the glory with other people? Maybe your siblings. Maybe your spouse. Maybe your ex. (laughs) Maybe your neighbor that frustrates you. Number five. Jesus showed us what it means to be honorable. Look look at the last two verses, 11 and 12. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. In in case you forgot, this was in Cana, okay? In case you forgot, this was at what? Where's Cana, right? That's important, okay? His first sign was in Cana, Nowheresville, Galilee. And it says he manifested his glory. He manifested his glory. And he did it behind closed doors. Wow. He manifested his glory by sharing it with others. He showed that he was honorable by honoring others. I mean, that is his glory. That is the glory of God. The glory of God is that God gives That God is a God of grace. That God doesn't just sit up there and demand from us, but God gives to us. Because we could not do it without His giving. We could not please Him without His mercy and His grace in our lives. We could not live without every breath of life that He gives us each and every day. God manifested his glory in Jesus by sharing his glory and his honor with others. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Jesus turned water into wine. And he did this. I mentioned earlier that the water was a sign of purification. Jesus turned the water into wine in order to rescue one family from shame and disgrace. But brothers and sisters, that wine is a picture. It is a foreshadowing of the blood of his cross. The wine of his first sign was pointing to his last sign on the cross, when he would submit himself to torture and death, taking our place as the Lamb of God on the cross, so that the wrath and the justice of God, which we all deserve, would fall on him instead, and that his blood would become a cleansing fountain, that his blood would become a cleansing fountain fountain, not just to rescue one family from shame and disgrace, but to rescue the whole world from shame and disgrace. That is the honor of Jesus, that he was making a way to share his glory with all of you and with me. And you know what it says here? It says that they, the disciples, believed in him. 
And, and, and Christianity is not uh, 12 steps to a better life. Christianity is believing in a Savior and receiving from Him all the glory and all the honor and all the goodness and all the love and all the forgiveness that He has for us. Receiving it by faith. Accepting it. Accepting that you are cleansed. That His payment on the cross was enough. That you don't have to be a martyr today. You don't have to torture yourself because of your past. You can receive by faith every ounce of His cleansing blood that's for you today. You can receive it today by faith. And so I urge you to do that. Trust Him today. Jesus poured out His blood to cleanse you. Like those six huge jars of wine that who knows how long that lasted. I mean, that party went on, y'all, that party went on for months. (laughs) And we get to look forward to an eternity of celebrating what Jesus has done to us with his wine, the wine of his life given for us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. What a strange thing to be thankful for, blood. And yet we know that his blood is like our blood. It's life-giving. It's what sustains us each and every day. It's what brings honor to our shame. It's what brings blessing to our embarrassment. And God, I pray that you would apply your honor to each person sitting here today or listening online. That you would apply the honor of new life in you. So that we all get to stand on the podium. So that we all get to receive the A+. So that we all get the medal, the gold medal. Because you share your honor with everyone who believes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, may it be received and may it grow. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. God has a good word for us today. Take time, meditate on that. Go back this afternoon, read through John 2, 1 through 12 again. Think about it with your family, maybe over dinner tonight. Let it soak in the honor that Jesus shares with us.